Well, without any further ado, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us a little after four, Sunday, October the 18th, 2009. So I hope you had a wonderful week. Uh, thank you for your patience. And um, we are ready to roll with the Sunday show. And uh, I hope you had a fabulous, fabulous week. I hope that you're enjoying all the new podcasts. And um, uh, I am ready to either start on a Rambles Fiddle Tangent Fest or I am ready and willing and able supine, I could say, perhaps, to hear your questions, slash comments, slash rank praise, or massive criticism of either my hairdo or the smallest mustache on the planet, because I just shaved this morning. Actually, it's more of a goatee, a full-on Captain Morgan beard. Anyway, uh, I am all ears. If you have questions or comments or issues or problems, speak on Macduff, and I will be with the listening. Uh, otherwise, uh, so I'll give this a second. Otherwise, I will go to a comment or two. Going once, going twice. Well, I just want to mention one thing. Mention away. Uh, we changed one of the behaviors of the board over the week to where you have to be registered and logged into the website before you can view anyone's profile. Excellent. Excellent. So that that's my mention. I'm back out. Right. And that's because most people are posting nude profiles. And uh, so we just wanted to keep that... Uh, well, okay, so it's just me. But uh, other people could, I guess, if they wanted to. So, Thank you. A good note. All right. Well, you leave me no choice but to bore you about my daughter. We took her to the mall today because she has a, a car seat that only works until she's a year old. And shockingly, oh, my God, it's shocking. But we, um, we actually are going to celebrate her 10-month birthday tomorrow. Uh, I guess October the 19th, she will be out of the womb for 10 months. And uh, since I spent most of my time trying to get back in, uh, it's really quite interesting to see the degree to which she doesn't do that. But uh, we took her to a mall today because we need to get her a new car seat. And because the one that she has just goes up to a year and we need to get, uh, I think, a forward-facing one or whatever. So there was a sale on. And we went to the mall and we picked her up recently. A, uh, a little, it's like a little truck. And it's sort of, um, it's built so that she can stand and push herself and walk behind it, sort of like a very accelerated version um, of an old lady behind a stroller. And it's, you know, it's got bells and whistles and, and singing and all that kind of stuff. And it's really, really cool. I posted a video of it this week. Uh, and it's, she just blows my mind. She's so cool. Like she, she just picked it up and started going. Like at, a, at, a, at a, an adult walking clip, she just goes that fast, which is really, really wonderful. And so we took her to the mall today because so far we've basically just been having her go inside the house, like up and down the, the hardwood floor of the empty living room. And we took her to the mall and she, uh, she just barreled. She literally went the entire length of a long, long mall uh, and halfway back again before she got a little bit tired. And it was just fantastic. Um, so it was really cool to see her just go, go, go. And, of course, she's easier to put down when she's had that kind of exercise. So that was just fantastic to see. It's just the cutest thing. And it just amazes me. That's the first time she's done it, and she just goes. And the second thing she did that was pretty cool just today, just this morning, was, uh, you know, for those who visited for the barbecues, you know, we have a, a downstairs and an upstairs, and there's two flights of stairs. I think there's like nine stairs or eight stairs on each on each flight. And for the first time, she climbed up the entire set of stairs, which is cool and dangerous slash scary. And so um, uh, that, I thought, was, uh, was pretty amazing to watch. We got a little video of that. Maybe I can post it later if people aren't getting too bored of this kind of stuff. But uh, it was really, really cool. So, uh, you know, the, these kinds of things that, that just occur 
so rapidly. I mean, babies just blow, it just blows your mind how rapidly the human brain can learn and move ahead and advance. It just is fantastic. So again, it, it, parenting is, is a challenge and, and occasionally it can feel somewhat akin to inarticulate manual labor, you know, like literally 20, 30, 40 times a day, she'll go up and down, back and forth um, from room. She goes sort of from the, the, um, the front of the house to the back of the house, from the the living room to the kitchen and then goes back and then goes back and then goes back and then goes back. And so it can feel a little bit retarded after a while, but, um, <laughs> it is very cool. And, um, uh, other than that, you know, where you can feel a little bit brain dead shepherding someone back and forth, uh, and being, you know, enormously encouraging. I actually put on a cheerleader outfit most times that so she does something new, which I'm surprised she does anything new anymore because I think I would think that would be pretty traumatic, but, uh, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. So uh, feel free to pump up the questions, pump up the questions, ask, ask, ask. Oh, I also wanted to uh, mention that I wanted to put together uh, a second round of the Entrepreneurs Conference. Uh, of course, it's tough because, you know, we have people from England who want to join. And uh, we are concerned about getting English entrepreneurialism up because the last time that happened, they ended up ruling roughly two thirds of the world. So we're a little concerned about getting British ambition uh, going. Uh, so, um, we'll, we're, we're somewhat, you know, I, I guess we could be worse. We could have Russians coming in, but, um, I think that's, uh, just something I, uh, I wanted to mention. So I uh, will try and get it going this week. I'll put something up on the board and we'll try and work out. Cause I think it was very useful and it was, uh, it was uh, very helpful. And, uh, I would certainly like to, to do more of it, but I keep forgetting that I'm an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> but, uh, it is important to remember that that is occurring, uh, as well. So. Yeah, and of course, we, having Americans be entrepreneurs, well, I, you know, it's a little different. It's not, not quite as funny. There is a new School Sucks podcast that is out there. Do I have any open plans for American Thanksgiving? I do not have any open plans for American Thanksgiving other than, I guess I'm relatively glad I didn't end up moving to the States. Um... What I going to say? Oh, yeah. So I'm working with um, J- James Riak, who's the executive director of the NoSpank, uh, the Parents Against uh, uh, you know, uh, Corporal Punishment and Education and so on. We had a fairly lengthy chat yesterday, and uh, I'm going to work uh, on uh, – I already created one audio version. He wants to trim it a little bit, but uh, so I'll create another audio version for him, and he's going to try and get a Spanish speaker. Uh, and if you do uh, have a good Spanish-speaking voice and wouldn't mind reading this as an audio and have the equipment to do it, that would be very helpful. He's, uh, he's keen, and I think it's a good idea to uh, get uh, audio, you know, CDs and stuff out to people who maybe wouldn't be that interested in reading a pamphlet. They can just drop it in their car or put it in their boombox or whatever. So we will be, uh, uh, we will be doing that, and uh, I think that will be a very useful and good thing to get done. Um, there are, you know, there is some evidence that there is a greater degrees of corporal punishment among um, uh, racial minority groups, uh, Hispanic, black communities, and so on. So uh, obviously, I will be fully putting out a full Ebonics rap version um, with uh, with kazoo and spoons, which I believe are the musician uh, musical instruments of choice for the the streets, uh, the streets of San Francisco. So uh, anyway, we'll be we'll be working on that, and uh, so um, I, I'm sort of I'm quite excited about that. And to let me know what you guys think of these uh, of these interviews, right? Because I mean, there's there's three formats of shows fundamentally. I mean, if we count this one as the same, right? There's 
monologues uh, with with airplanes and <laughs> the occasional hyena sounds. Uh, right, there's monologues, there's uh, conversations with listeners, there are interviews with, you know, outsiders, right? And then there are Sunday shows, I guess, the same sort of thing. So um, uh, I, I'm, I'm keen to do the interviews. I like the interviews. They're quite a bit of work sort of getting started up. I, I did send a, a message to a doctor in Canada here who just released a book critical of the Canadian healthcare system. I would very much like to uh, uh, to interview him and, and we'll see if, if he would be interested uh, in that. But uh, um, yeah, people are saying that they do like the interviews, which are Great. And I don't really view them as interviews so much. I mean, it's more like conversations. Uh, but I mean, I, I will interview people when I have like no expertise whatsoever in the subject matter. But for the most part, I have at least a few things to add. So it's a bit more of a conversation. I kind of like that format. Um, I don't sort of like the because, uh, uh, you know, he might as well just do a monologue if I'm just there to prompt him for questions. So um, uh, I'm, I'm sort of keen on having it in this in this format. So I will try to get more interviews. I think that, you know, it's, it's a big enough show with a big enough recognition that um, yeah, people are starting to have heard this um, uh, Jordan Riak fellow is also a good friend of um, uh, Alice Miller. So um, she's a bread maker, I think, based on her name. And uh, so, uh, I'm, I mean, obviously she would be a great get. I'm going to ask him if he wouldn't mind uh, dropping it past. I'd also like to uh, get a chance to chat with Nathaniel Brandon and see if, uh, if he might be available for an interview. So, again, we'll see uh, if any of these things are, are possible. But um, uh, I, would, uh, uh, I would very, I mean, I, I very much enjoy these conversations. And uh, I think that uh, I, I'm sort of getting positive feedback from people who, uh, who like them as well. So that's what we will be doing. I just want to put in my vote um, for the uh, interviews. Um, I think that it's really cool to kind of get an idea of the people who are, if not get, if not doing the philosophy, because I don't think anyone else is doing the philosophy, but like doing like the, like the, the real traction on the ground, uh, you know, hard, messy work of like the no spank.net and the psychohistory. I mean, I think that's really cool. And it's, it's, you know, so, I mean, that, that, that's really awesome. So if you find more of those and do more of those, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I think that, um, uh, yeah, somebody has mentioned uh, that the, the Journal of Psychohistory is, is, is a good read. Again, it's, it's a challenging read, as, as a lot of the psychohistorical stuff is. But you can uh, email Demouse with your name and address at psychast at tiac.net. That's P-S-Y-C-H. A S T H S T. Sorry, let me start that again. P S Y C H H S T at T I A C dot net and uh, email your name and address, and you will get the Journal of Psychohistory. I think it's a really good read. I think it's a really good read. I mean, they're not obviously uh, uh, voluntarists in the way that that we would think of it, but uh, so what, right? I mean, it's you know, <laughs> we're we're not perfect. They're not perfect, and uh, I think it's it's very very interesting the 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 take that they have on on history and. Um, uh, economics and so on. There's a very interesting set of articles about the psychodynamics of the recent crash and boom. And I think that it's well worth it. Um, uh, somebody has said uh, in the review, in my review, yeah, I did a review of capitalism, a love story. Uh, it's interesting because uh, I, I actually, I've been trying to go for weeks, right? But it's tough. Uh, uh, not tough because it's hard to do. It's just uh, if Isabella goes to sleep, I have a bunch of FDR work to do. And then when she's back up, I want to spend time with her and not going to see her. A movie, and uh, anyway, so I did get a chance to go and see it, and I did a review, which uh, I hope that you will uh, enjoy. And um, uh, in that, uh, it's actually the first time that I've been in a movie theater entirely on my own. 
Uh, I, there was no one else in the movie theater at all because I guess it was a matinee on, on a weekday and it was fairly sunny out. And of course, everybody's out there drinking up the sunshine like a half dead daisy up here in Canada trying to store up the vitamin D for the winter. But uh, it was quite interesting to see a film uh, entirely on my own. But uh, in that, I said that I don't support timeouts for children. So he says, so I'm wondering how you would deal with a child who is behaving poorly or endangering themselves in ignorance. Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> right. I really I really don't know. My daughter is is 10 months old. And so far, um, discipline has not been required at all. And by discipline, I don't mean that we don't set limits. Of course, we do set limits. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a tone of voice. Isabella, no, which we can use. That's different. Um, you know, she she bit me this morning on my chest. She left a, a red well. So she's going through a biting phase. Um, which uh, is natural. But, uh, you know, when she comes in for a kiss, I'm like, oh, God, please leave me with a nipple. And um, so, uh, you know, but so I, I say, ow, you know, and I sort of, um, you know, and she actually gets quite upset when she hurts us because she doesn't really quite understand the correlation yet. So um, I don't, I don't I have no idea, really, um, how how discipline is going to work in this household uh, as, as we move forward. Um, I think... That, um, you know, based on the, and I'm doing a lot of reading, I've been reading three or four books on uh, infant psychological development, and uh, it really is quite fascinating. You know, uh, infants, uh, Alison Gopnik has got a good book on this, uh, and she mentions that infants as young as uh, 14 months, 13, 14 months old, um, understand certain kinds of empathy. So if uh, the researcher who's sort of testing the child or trying to get the response to the child, the researcher um, drops a pencil, then the child will pick the pencil up, right? Child who's a little over a year old, the baby really, will pick the pencil up and hand it back to the uh, to the researcher. But if the researcher throws, pretends to throw the pencil away in anger, the child will not return it, right? So the child understands the emotional difference between these two states. The one is an accident and wants the, pen, the, the person wants the pencil to be returned and the other one is exasperation or frustration and the person does not want the pencil to be returned. So, um, based on these kinds of, uh, uh, this kind of research that I'm doing, and I may put this all together in some, but you know, I, I think people should just go and read the books. I'll post the links on the, on the, um, on the board. I don't certainly want to pretend that I have any capacity to synthesize all of this stuff, just sort of report on it. So I don't think that you can treat a child as too advanced. And uh, so I think that's uh, I think that's important. The first thing that I'm really going to do is just continually treat her as enormously advanced. And that has been working very well so far. I mean, she's not even 10 months. And, you know, with support, she probably walked, you know, a quarter or half a kilometer today, which is very unusual for a child of that age. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to uh, to sort of mention that. I think that's uh, uh, that's been very important. I'm just going to treat her as. Uh, very much uh, advanced, uh, as very much capable of empathy and good decision making, and just work to keep her safe in that uh, in that way. Uh, work to keep her safe. Work to keep the environment safe. Clearly, she can't. Uh, Isabella cannot do anything wrong at the moment, right? Is Isabella cannot do anything wrong, and so there's no, there's absolutely no reason to uh, to punish her. Uh, no reason at all. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of punishment at all. I think punishment is is a very is a very bad way to um, to discipline children or to keep children safe because you're not teaching them anything other than negative consequences, right? Which means that they should be afraid of you rather than learning something about um, uh, learning something about uh, 
how the world works and what keeps him safe. So, I mean, if she's endangering herself, well, what's she going to do to endanger herself? Right? I mean, I'm, we're with her all the time. We don't leave her unattended, obviously. Right? And so what's she going to do to endanger herself? That's our job to keep her safe. Right? It's our job to keep her safe. So I don't know what it is that she can do to endanger herself. We don't let her go anywhere near cables. We don't let her play with plugs. We don't let her anywhere near the stairs. We don't. Right? We just don't let her do those things. So it's my job to keep her safe. And it's not her fault if we do something that ends up with her somehow getting in danger. That's not her fault. That's our problem to fix, not her problem to fix through punishment. So given that she can't do anything wrong, and given that we don't leave her in a position where she can be in a dangerous situation, uh, I'm not sure where punishment is, is going to fit in. Now, there will be a time, of course, when she starts going through the twos, at least that's the theory that she's going to be, you know, testing limits and, and so on. Um, and, and we'll see. I don't know. I mean, my general theory is that um, I, I give her as much latitude as, as humanly possible, right? I, I give her as much latitude as humanly possible. I try not to arbitrarily restrict what it is that she can do, even if it makes me a little anxious, right? So uh, today uh, she was crawling around the mall and uh, she, we were in a store getting her car seat, as I mentioned. And uh, so, you know, she wants to pick this up. She wants to pick that up. You know, we, we keep the hand sanitizer handy and we let her do all of that stuff. Now, uh, uh, then she did start to crawl under a set of cabinets where it was very dusty and dirty, and that was, I just didn't think that that was safe or wise, so I said, Isabella, you can't go in there. And I slowly pulled her, pulled her out, you know, slowly and gently. And uh, she was fine with it, you know, because, because we give her so much latitude, she's really not that bothered when a restriction comes down. I think children get very bothered by restrictions and want to fight them when there are many more restrictions than permissions, right? So she, she's allowed to go everywhere except a few places, right? Except a few things uh, outside the home. Inside the home, it's pretty much a free-for-all um, with one or two exceptions. So I think what happens is she gets to go everywhere and so when she doesn't get to go somewhere, it doesn't really bother her. But I think if we restricted everything she did, then she would start to get very frustrated because she is really um, fierce in her absolute love affair with the world, right? She has uh, an absolute passionate devotion to, to discovering and learning about the world. And so if we restricted that, uh, it would be like trying to stand before a tsunami and stop it with, you know, with your fingertip. It just wouldn't work. So, um, you know, to keep a frustration level low uh, and to be very judicious in the restrictions that we place on her, to place as minimal restrictions on her as possible means that when those restrictions show up, she's not particularly bothered because there's you know, 999 other things that she can do. So, um, so there's really no need for discipline. It's our job to keep her safe and uh, she can't do anything wrong at the moment. And of course, when she does do things wrong, I'm not, so, not naive and she will do things wrong. I mean, <laughs> uh, things that she knows are wrong, things she'll lie, uh, she will cheat, uh, she, will, she may even try to steal. I mean, these are going to be natural explorations of a child. Um, and, uh, uh, the, the purpose of course is not to teach her punishment because that externalizes the decision-making process. If I punish her, um, then that just externally means that then she's like, okay, well, I don't want to get punished, not I want to be good. And that just, that's just not a good way to teach anyone anything. Uh, what will be, what I will be curious uh, about, I think is, um, if she, uh, if she lies, it'd be like, okay, well tell me, um, you know, tell me what was going on. Tell me why you made that decision. Tell me what were you thinking beforehand? What were you hoping to gain? You know, just be curious with her so that I can understand um, why she wants. Because the important thing is that she 
not want to lie. Not that I punish her for lying, because it's again that doesn't give her any sense of morality. It just gives her negative consequences, which is you know anything that you would train a dog with, I'm not going to inflict on my child. I'm just not going to do it. Anything that you would use to train an animal uh, is unworthy of. I mean, I think it's pretty unworthy of an animal too, but it certainly is unworthy of uh, of my daughter. So. So that's, you know, I, I genuinely, I don't know, but I think if she knows that we're passionately devoted to giving her as much fun and happiness and safety and security and love as possible, then I don't think she's going to be bothered by a few restrictions. And, and she's going to, I think, innately sense that they're not arbitrary, they're not punitive, right? Children are incredibly sensitive to the emotions of those around them. And if we, if we come from a right place, I just can't imagine that she's going to be terrifically fussed about uh, all of this stuff. It really, really doesn't, uh, it really, if, if you're coming from the right place. Uh, and, and of course, it used to be, right, <laughs> people used to believe that, uh, you know, here's how you discipline your wife, you know, here's how you discipline the women in your life and this, that, and the other, right? And, uh, you know, that's... You know, we don't do that anymore, right? <laughs> At least reasonable people don't do that anymore. You don't sit there and say, well, how am I going to best discipline my uh, my wife? It doesn't, uh, right? <laughs> I mean, no, nobody would believe that stuff anymore. So uh, I feel it's the same way with uh, with uh, with children. They, people will look back and say, um, I can't believe that uh, uh, people used to, uh, used to discipline their children in the same way that we sort of look back and uh, we can't, uh, uh, we can't believe that uh, people used to, quote, discipline their wives in this way. So I just sort of wanted to, uh, to mention that for people who were curious. Again, I'm, no, <laughs> I'm certainly not going to claim to be any kind of parenting expert, but I sure as hell know what I'm not going to do. Uh, I'm not going to treat her with any less respect than I would treat an adult. And if I wouldn't do it to an adult, I'm not going to do it to her. So uh, I hope that uh, makes some kind of sense. And uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll find out. Maybe I'll eat my words. I don't think so. But um, we'll certainly see. I've also found that she's, she is very responsible in a weird kind of way, right? She is very responsible uh, in, in how she manages the risks in her life, right? She doesn't run too fast. She, she hasn't really dropped. Uh, she hasn't fallen and, and hurt herself. In, well, she's never fallen and hurt herself other than a little mark. She's never even had a bruise, I think. But she's, uh, yeah, she's very, uh, uh, she's very careful uh, and she is very responsible because she doesn't want to get hurt, right? And we want her to have the ownership of that, not us, you know, because then she won't develop that sense, uh, I think. Uh, when did she get hair? Oh, she's, she's getting this. So you can see I just put a picture in the chat room window. The, um, uh, the, the hair is beautiful. I mean, she just has this amazing hair uh, that is... Uh, uh, it's got these beautiful highlights, and uh, it really is just uh, just lovely. So, uh, sorry, somebody had a, a question. Uh, let me just look it up here uh, in the chat room. Would it be possible, Steph? Someone says for you to talk a little on the topic of love as an involuntary response to virtue. I have a problem falling for people who never feel the same for me. Instead, I get stuck in the friend zone. People who seem to fall for me are not people I respect highly. Can this be because I am not? living my values? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a big question. Um, and uh, let, me, let me just, before I go into that, and just because I've been talking for a while, uh, I want to make sure that you know, others get the chance to talk. I'll come back to that if nobody else has any other questions. But um, if, you, uh, 
uh, if so, if anybody else has a question, we can have more of a dialogue. That would be great. Uh, but otherwise, I will uh, I will go back to that. Going once. No, I'm I'm happy to answer the question this way. I just um, uh, we just wanted to know if I, I just don't wanted to have a monologue show. No. Okay. Well. Let me uh, tell you what I think. Uh, these are all just my opinions, of course, but um, this is what I think. I have definitely had the problem of falling for people who did not share my uh, feelings, um, the mainstream media say. <laughs> just kidding. Right. So uh, I definitely have had the issue where people have, um, have fallen for me where I um, uh, have not uh, had the feeling those feelings have not been reciprocated to me. And so I'll just talk about my own experiences. You know, maybe they'll fit with you. Uh, maybe they won't. It's, uh, it's hard to say. But um, my, the, the reason I think that uh, people did not uh, fall for me, the women did not feel the same to me, was that I was not drawn to their virtue, but rather other attributes that um, perhaps were not quite as noble or elevated. Uh, you know, everybody has certain physical characteristics, and maybe it's one, uh, more than one set of physical characteristics. Uh, everybody has certain characteristics that um, uh, that they like, right? It, it could be, you know, some people like butts or boobs or hair or, you know, certain things that, that people like, long legs, they have a certain thing. And uh, it can be, you know, it can be a bit of a pit. It can be tempting. And um, uh, so if, if you find yourself attracted to people because, uh, to a woman, because I'm going to just go with the standard, sorry if I get the gender wrong, but if you find yourself attracted to a woman, the first thing that I would say is, was it like, well, this person is hot, you know, physically attractive, uh, there's a particular, she has a particular attribute that I find sexy or whatever. That would be the first thing, right? Did I, did I slowly become attracted to her as I got to know her or even relatively quickly if you got to know her relatively quickly? So that would be my first, uh, my first question would be to say, well, why is it that I am attracted to this person? If I'm attracted to a virtuous person and they don't like me, then I doubt that we share the same level of virtue, right? So the first thing that I would do, and this is true for everything, is to examine, you know, your motives and so on. Um, so, so you know, my pattern, my mother was uh, physically very, very attractive. It's not something you really notice when you're a kid, but sort of looking back at it, you can sort of see the, in the pictures that she was very, um, uh, very pretty. And for me, the history of being emotionally rejected by an attractive woman was uh, a bit of a pattern that was set uh, in my childhood and had, and I don't think it was the be all and end all, but it definitely had an influence um, in my response to women or my relationships to women, right? I mean, the idea that our relationship with our mother has some degree uh, an effect of our relationship with women, I think is pretty much a given. Uh, and uh, I'm certainly uh, not going to say that that's not the case. I think it is. So, uh, I would look at your relationship again, start early, uh, look at your relationship with your mother. Um, was there, like, did you get the love and affection that you needed or wanted from your mother? And if not, um, why not? And, you know, uh, so I, I would sort of look at that, those, those kinds of patterns. So work for self-knowledge. Why is it that I'm attracted to people? And just be very honest with yourself, right? And just be very honest with yourself. Again, I <laughs> mentioned this in a podcast, but it is something that I found kind of funny, right? That I would be attracted to women who were uh, very beautiful, as everyone is, I think, right? Uh, I would be attracted and I would attempt to get them out. And sometimes it would work, but most times it wouldn't. And then I'd be upset and I'd say, oh, you know, I can't believe they're so shallow that they won't go out with me because I'm bald or I just make something up or whatever, right? 
Uh, and of course, it was entirely hypocritical and ridiculous on my part, right? Because it's hard for me to say to people, well, you shouldn't judge me by my looks when I'm judging them by their looks, right? I mean, so I think it's just really important to get out of that particular pattern. And uh, that would be my advice to you. So I hope that uh, I hope that helps. All right, we have time. Yes, we do for another couple of questions. And please, you know, you have access to this resource. I would suggest, uh, you know, give it a shot if you can. Yeah, newbies, welcome. There are no, uh, there are no dumb questions. There are only dumb podcasts. Oh, there's a new School Sucks podcast out there for those of you who uh, are following that. So again, recommended. Uh, we are going to try and get, and thanks to the person who suggested this, we are going to um, try to get a, um, a roundtable with uh, Wes and Brett and myself uh, to discuss a variety of issues. And I hope that that will be, uh, that will be enjoyable for people. I'm certainly looking forward to it. And uh, we will brave the harsh echo lands of Uvu to, uh, to try and get that working. Oh, yeah, she was so cute at the mall. Isabella was so cute at the mall today. I could hear these little sonic boom pops as they could women spontaneously ovulated walking past her. And it really is lovely degree to which a cute baby uh, brings out the uh, the very best in people. Uh, and it's a lovely thing to see. <laughs> Somebody said, don't say things like that. I was drinking. You know, there's nothing better than the philosophy that comes out of your nose. Gee, you had a question about roommates, right? Yeah, I was just curious what your experience with roommates was like and uh, if you had any uh, specific advice i mean i generally had uh, good relationships with roommates um i mean i lived in a room with a guy right it was uh, <laughs> it was very uh, uh i actually just got in touch with him recently again over uh, haven't talked to him in forever but um uh, i think i think it's useful to keep your distance um with from roommates you know like you know be be cordial be friendly and so on i never actually became friends with my roommates like friends friends but um uh because you know it just you know because with friends you get to sort of go and then go home right so um uh i sort of felt a, a reasonable distance was useful and good and um uh, i i sort of felt that that was the way the way to do it so um uh, yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, pass and be friendly and occasionally would sit and chat if they had people over who were so they were socializing with or whatever. Um, but uh, uh, I lived with a guy for two years uh, in undergrad uh, once, you know, in one room, we sort of shared one room. And then secondly, we had a, uh, an apartment with a one bedroom. So we sort of switched in and out of the bedroom term over term. Uh, but we only actually went out uh, for dinner once. Uh, in the whole time, right? Um, so uh, I, I think it's um, uh, I think it's a good uh, it's a good thing to have cordial, friendly roommates. But I think it's important that they have a social life, or so because if they look at you as like, ah, oh, good, now I have a roommate, now I have a social life, that can be, I think, a bit uh, a bit oppressive. Um, and so I think uh, boundaries is the key when it comes to it. Comes the to, false obligation, right? Yeah, it's like, oh, are you going out? Are you meeting people? Can I, you know, you sort of get that thing, right? And uh, I think that's uh, a little not. Uh, uh, a little lot, uh, not that great. Um, but, uh, you know, I think people who are cordial and social and, you know, have, have good relationships, uh, I think can be helpful. I think it can be a problem. Uh, um, uh, I think it can be a problem if you get the sort of third roommate, right? So someone starts dating and then that person is around all the time. Um, so if they already have a relationship, I think that's, uh, I think that's a good idea. Uh, if they get a relationship, then I think you have to sort of do that boundary thing where it's like, you know, 
unless you really like the the girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, I think it's generally good to sort of, you might have to have that conversation. Like uh, we didn't really sign up for three people here. Right. Right, right, right. Rent and food and all that. Right. Right. Suddenly somebody's uh, free riding. Yeah. I mean, three people should pay a third, third, third rent. Right. So if you're paying half the rent and they're getting two for one, you know, it's, it's, but that's, I don't think that's too common. And hopefully you can figure out whether people are going to be like that um uh up front so did you um go through any sort of um process when you were picking roommates or rooms or did do or was it all pretty much basically born of necessity and it was necessity uh, coping yeah it was necessity for the most part for sure and um uh, so that uh i didn't usually have much choice right so the guy I ended up living in the room with I just had to rent a room because there was nothing available and he just happened to rent it and we just happened to get along really well. He's the guy who, for better or for worse, taught me all my biology because <laughs> he was a biology major. So uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's his fault, <laughs> right? So, um, so I would say uh, necessity is fine. You just have to kind of trust your, your gut when it comes to that kind of stuff, I think. Sure, sure. Have you ever had any... Um bad experiences with it um well yeah i mean there was one um woman uh, when i was living with my um uh very pridey roommates uh, in in graduate school um there was one woman who who moved in for a while um she was i mean she was a lesbian she was in an abusive relationship she was very depressed and and uh, uh that she, she would really kind of corner you and just talk 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 and uh, so that was a problem uh, and, uh, I had to sort of deal with that somewhat proactively. Um, but yeah, I think that was the only negative uh, experience that I, I had. How, how do you, um, how do you push back without sort of, um, creating a, a whole bunch of tension in the house? Well, there's, there's somebody, usually when you rent, this was a house, right? So there's, there's somebody whose house it is, right? I mean, that the, they were the founder, they got the lease. Right? So there's somebody whose house it is usually in those situations. And so I talked to the guy who I, I had originally talked with, right? And uh, said, uh, you know, this, uh, this woman is, is sort of negatively impacting my experience living here. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's just me. What are your, what's your experience? He was like, oh my God, she's a trial, <laughs> you know? And, and so it turned out that I was not the only person who had, uh, who had an issue because this woman was, you know, very needy, uh, and, uh, you know, really, really would just corner you and talk about all these terrible things until you kind of want to just you know, slowly ease your own head off your shoulders. Um, so I, I just sat down with him and I said, you know, is, is this just me? I mean, I find this really difficult to manage. I have to kind of make, I have to eventually just become rude because I can't spend all the time listening to about this woman's terrible life. And, uh, uh he said, yes, uh, it is a problem. Uh, so we sat down with two of the other guys, uh, and one of them was his boyfriend. And it was this other guy who was a dancer who was living there. And, uh, you know, we all said this is negatively impacting. And so the guy whose house it was, the guy who had the lease, uh, he's the one who had to say, uh, it's too crowded here, and he he eased her out, right? So, I mean, but if everyone else is like, oh, you know, she's great, I love spending time with her, then you either have to live with it or move, but you can talk to the people um, who actually have the house and see if they're, you know, everybody might be experiencing it and nobody's sort of doing anything about it, which I think is uh, is important to note. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work when I move, but... Uh, I, 
I, I think actually, um, in most cases, everyone sort of gets their own, at least sublease. That makes any sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if if it's um, uh, so so there is no one whose house it is, right? Like someone owns it and they're just right. leasing it out to everyone. Right, right, exactly. Well, I would talk to the person who is leasing it out to everyone and say, what is the process that will occur um, if somebody is not, right? How does this, you know, how is the dispute going to be resolved, right, if, if things go awry? Right, or is it, it just tr- strictly a question of, uh, well, uh, this place sucks, I'll break my lease and go somewhere else? Well, right. I mean, I think... It is a risk that everybody understands that things can go wrong in a communal living situation. So I think it's just important to say, well, what, you know, what happens uh, if, if that occurs, right? I mean, do, do I just move? I mean, do we, do we have a, is there a way to, to is, there a, is there a meeting? Is there a, you know, whatever, right? I think that's important. Right, right, right. That makes sense. I mean, and, and if somebody is, is experienced, like if a landlord is experienced, they'll know that this is an issue, right? And um, if, they, if they don't, if they say, oh, I have no idea what would happen if, if the people who are living under the same roof ever have any conflicts, I have no idea what will happen, then I would not rent from that person if there was a way to avoid it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because then it's, they're, they're, they're idiots, right? I mean, uh, yeah. they just, well, what do you mean, right? What do you mean there could be problems with strangers living together under the same roof? Everybody gets along, kumbaya, smoke this, right? So, um, uh, right. yeah, so uh, I, I think, I mean, I think roommates can be great, right? It can be, a, uh, it's nice chit-chat, it's good, it's good for expenses, um, and uh, it's nice, to, you know, for people who like having other people around. I'm sort of mixed. I like living alone, but I also like having people around. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're not your friends, you know, they're not your confidants, uh, you know, boundaries, you know, too much information is a very important thing to not experience, to inflict or to, to have inflicted upon you in a roommate situation. You know, cordial acquaintances, I think is the best way that I have been able to, to run that. And uh, I think that is, uh, I think that's the way, that's the way to go. I mean, I was because the first year, sorry, where I was renting a room, there was a frat, right? So I was living in a frat house, renting a room with another guy and talk about a potentially challenging living situation, right? Um, And I was actually asked to join the frat, but I just wasn't going to do anything like that. That was nice of them to ask, I guess. But, uh, you know, I didn't really get along with the frat guys either because, you know, I mean, it was a pretty nice frat, but it is still nonetheless a frat. And uh, so... Uh, yeah, but, you know, cordial and, uh, and nice and pleasant uh, and, you know, hi bye and how's it going and stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I never I never would go. Much ba- basically neighbors that share the same bathroom. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's a, that's the way it is with my neighbors, too. Right. I mean, you know, hi bye. Uh, nice to see you. How are your kids? Uh, what's new? But, uh, yeah, I don't get into the uh, I got the spot. What do you think? You know, <laughs> get into that stuff. Right. Actually, no, I did once. Uh, I have this uh, guy who lives, uh, uh, he, they, they have a kid who's a little older than Isabella. And uh, he was out mowing his lawn. He's a really nice guy. And he will sometimes mow my side and I'll sometimes mow his side, you know, because we sort of share a little bit on the front. 
And uh, I think the one time where I did sort of open up to him was just like, dear God, I've been trying to mow this lawn for like two weeks. And he's like, oh, I know we can't get anything done. You know, particular phases in babies' developments, it's just nuts because all you're doing is running around like Frankenstein attempting to have them not brain themselves. And um, so I think that was the only time. But even that was to more just you know, challenging uh, things with, uh, with parenting. It wasn't really, you know, opening up or anything. Yeah, that make that makes sense. That makes sense, and it seems to be pretty much the the the, the pattern with the folks that I've been chat chatting with too about this. A um, uh, couple of people are already living there. That um, it, it's pretty much a kind of neighborly relationship type situation, but uh, that's about it. Yeah, no, that's you know. I'm sorry. I just remember this two times that I've lived in the same room as someone else. Um, gosh, after, oh man. Oh yeah. It was after I left theater school, I put on a play that I'd written in downtown Toronto called seduction, which was a, as I mentioned, it's an adaptation of Ivan Turgenev's fathers and sons. And, uh, I, I lived in a frat house, which was available for the summer. And I lived with a guy, a, a pretty funny guy actually, who worked for Ontario hydro, and had nothing to do with his days whatsoever. But I wasn't around too much. I was working two jobs, and I was also directing a play. And so um, I didn't uh, I didn't see him very much. But but that was a that was fine. You know, you go to bed, you wake up, you you keep your uh, your bathrobe on, and you know all that kind of stuff. That that just works out fine. All right, I'm just going to open it up to see. Yeah. Sorry, if it's just if that's enough. I just want to make sure that we were dipping into the pool of the people who've joined more recently. If they have any any questions, you can type them into the chat room, or you can, of course, uh, uh, dial in. Um, hey, James, we should uh, if I if I sort of I have a phone number on Skype. If people call that, um, then that could be they can add, they can be added that way. We could have like a call in number. Is that is that fair to say? I. Don't know. I don't think so. Oh, I think so. Uh, Let's try it. Let's try it. This is well. well go ahead. It's three one five eight seven six nine seven zero five. And James, if you if you see someone, then you think you can just say add to the conference, and uh, they will then be uh, be on the Skype. It's a three one five eight seven six nine seven zero five. Yeah, you can add phone numbers, but you can't have them dial you because that's going to come up as a separate. Uh, call it does and then it says and there is an option called add to conference and then oh, if you say answer or add to conference if you say answer then it puts the um it puts the conference on hold but uh, i think you can try it i think you can try it. uh hey sure sorry somebody had a question what do i think of uh repressed memories i really don't know uh, i really don't know and I, I don't i don't know that anyone knows um Oh, yeah, sorry, somebody mentioned if you have an FDR roommate, I think that would be a really great idea, um, just for obvious reasons. But, uh, yeah, repressed memories, I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really get the phenomenon, you know, uh, because, uh, um, I, I, you know, I remember everything. You know, it's, it's, you know, except where I put my keys this morning, right? But, but around my childhood, I remember, like, it sounds weird, but it, it really is quite true. I remember almost every day. Like, I remember my childhood with such vivid detail that, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a freaking burden at times, I can tell you. But uh, so, so the idea, and because people will say, I don't remember anything before I was 10. And it's like, I, I have memories from before I could walk. And uh, I know I was pretty physically advanced child, like, uh, like Isabella. So, uh, you know, that's, um, 
I got to think that's a year uh, old because I remember sitting and, and not being able to get up and not being able to to walk away from from something. So I have uh, I have memories from very very early on and they're pretty continuous. I remember the very first. I mean, I remember having a dream when I I remember a dream that I had when I was I couldn't have been more than two uh, about uh, uh, digging in the woods and finding this most amazing gold. Uh, and being so overjoyed that I had these immense riches. Uh, I, I just, I remember that. It's one of my, uh, it's the very first dream that I remember. And I was very, very young. So, um, oh, it looks like it didn't work. Yeah, sorry, the phone ended up coming through here. James, it didn't come through the server there at all, did it? I think I, I, think I missed it. Uh, if we could ask that person to try calling again. Yeah, sorry. Uh, if you could uh, call again. Um, if... Uh, uh, yeah, because there's no uh, audio uh, thing on the server, right? Because it doesn't. Three one five eight seven six nine seven zero five. That would be great. Just call again. Uh, it came in, but then it forwarded. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, now, as far as repressed memories go, uh, again, I have no idea of the psychology or the medical, uh, of course, uh, any any of that sort of stuff. But uh, I, I do think that there is a fundamental issue around repressed memories. Um, and the idea is, is, if I understand this rightly, the idea is that uh, people will, will say, uh, I was abused. And, and then people will say, well, you, you, they will remember that they've been abused, right? So they go to see a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something. They go through therapy or maybe it happens through medication. I have no idea. And then... They, they get memories coming back of having been abused, uh, you know, sexually. Usually I think it's sexually or some other, some other way. And then they say, well, I didn't know, and now I've gone through therapy. I now know, and so my memories were repressed as a result of this trauma. And, uh, and, and the parents uh, who are accused in these situations of, of certain kinds of abuse, again, usually sexual, uh, have a counter move, and I don't know if it's a move or not, but I'll just characterize it that way. They have a counter move called the false memory syndrome. And what they say is that people are very suggestible. And uh, so the the um, the therapist, uh, he, he implants memories of abuse. He or she implants memories of abuse into, um, you know, let's just say a woman, right? Woman then comes and says to her father, you sexually abused me. And he says, I didn't. And, and how come you never talked about it before? And she says, well, my memory was repressed. I went to therapy and now I remember. And the, um, the father says, it is false memory. It is a memory that has been implanted by the agenda of your therapist or whatever, whatever, right? Um, that, that someone, someone has convinced you that, uh, uh, that you have been abused and it didn't really happen, right? Um, emotionally, with no, you know, again, it's just amateur opinion. I mean, I tend to side, I, I side with the victim. I side with the victim. Uh, I side with the victim. This doesn't prove anything, but it's just my general leaning. Uh, so um, if, uh, if someone comes forward and says, oh, my God, I went to therapy and I've, I've got these memories came flooding back, this terrible abuse or whatever, uh, I would tend to, I mean, I don't think you could convict anyone in a court of law, but I would tend to say that that is the truth. Uh, whereas, of course, the people who were accused uh, will say that it was a false memory that was implanted. Unfortunately, uh, it just doesn't, uh, um, it doesn't really answer any questions. I, I tend to go with the belief that memories can be repressed. It's just my opinion. Uh, memories can be repressed uh, because they're too traumatic. 
And they show up in various other kinds of dysfunctional behaviors and drug addiction or bulimia or promiscuity or tattoos or like lots of tattoos and stuff. Um, and I think that memories can be recovered. Uh, and I think therapy can do that. I think it's really difficult. Uh, and again, I don't know anything about the science, but I, I got to imagine that it's pretty difficult to convince, let's say, a woman that she was sexually abused when she wasn't. And I think, I think, I think that would be a tough thing to do. I don't know that memories can be implanted in that kind of way. Uh, because, I mean, at least for me, memories are very vivid and very detailed. I remember the smells. I remember the angle of the sun in the room. I remember the, the quality of the light. I remember what was on bookshelves. I remember the time of day. I remember the season. I, I mean, I remember a lot uh, of detail. And I think if if such a memory were to arise in you unexpectedly, I don't think that it could be implanted by someone else. Right. So, so for instance, um, uh, I mean, I remember things that happened in my room, you know, good and bad things that happened in my room when I was a kid. And I don't think that somebody else could implant those memories because they wouldn't know what was in my room. Right. Whereas my memory is of stuff happening in my room and no therapist would ever know what was in my room or what time of day it was or what the typical weather was that time of year or, you know, all that kind of stuff. What happened before? What happened after? So I think it's if the memory is very specific and very detailed relative to things that somebody else couldn't know anything about, that I would tend to go with that as a valid memory. Uh, and, you know, I know memory is a tricky thing, you know, and you can misremember and memories sometimes can be more recreation. But I still think that if you remember the essentials and the particular environment, uh, my particular opinion would be to go with that as a true memory. But again, it's just just my particular opinion. So. Yeah, um, false memory syndrome, uh, I don't think it's ever been, to my knowledge, I don't think that it has, um, uh, it has ever been proven as, a, as an actual syndrome. So uh, I think that is, um, you know, I think that is, uh, I don't think it's valid. Again, just my opinion. But um, I don't think the false memory syndrome has ever, I don't think it's ever been scientifically proven that you can genuinely implant traumatic memories into someone else just by talking to them. Right, because that's all that goes on in therapy is conversation, right? And I just don't think that you can convince someone that uh, uh, she was abused when she wasn't abused. I just, I, I just, I don't think that you can implant vivid memories of that. I believe this question, somebody's saying, I believe this question was more along the lines of someone claiming not to remember things that recently happened that were traumatic, i.e. mother not remembering abuse. I'm sorry, was that the mother not remembering being abused when she was a child or an adult or not remembering criticisms or uh, claims of abuse that she committed against others? Oh, somebody says, my father abusing both me and her. And when we're talking recently, um, how recently are we talking about? Oh, a few months. So your mother is saying that she can't remember her father abusing you and her a few months ago. Is that right? Right, right. Okay. Well, look, this would be my suggestion in this situation. Obviously, it, you know, unless your mother has some serious brain disorder, it seems to me somewhat unbelievable that someone who did not receive a blow to the head, it seems to me unbelievable that somebody would not remember something traumatic happened a few months ago. I mean, really, I just, 
Uh, I, I find that hard to believe, but, uh, you know, what do I know? I'm just some guy on the internet. So this would be my suggestion. Uh, if you, because, you know, I mean, my mother claimed to remember none of this stuff too, right? It's, it's just a, and it, just on the part of my own mother, you know, when I sat down repeatedly to talk her about things that happened when I was a kid, uh, you know, she was, I, I don't remember any of this, but if there's anything that I can do to help you, I'm, I'm here for you. <laughs> right. Uh, the I don't remember. I mean, if you ever want to see that in action, just watch Alberto Gonzalez being questioned about torture memos or, you know, firing lawyers for not supporting Bush or whatever. It's very easy to find people who say I don't remember because it is such a blanket um, stop to to a particular direction of investigation. But uh, uh, my suggestion would be, you know, if your mother wants to help you with, let's just say you have these memories and, and you want some help with them. Then and your mother says, "I do want to help you with them." My suggestion would be to say, "Okay, um, I'm going to, you know, if you don't already, I'm going to open up the yellow pages and I'm going to find a competent therapist, uh, a good therapist, right? Somebody really accredited uh, and um, uh, who you feel comfortable with." And I would go for a couple of sessions myself to sort of test the waters and see how comfortable you were and talk about this thing. And then I would go to your mother and I would say, um, it would be very, very helpful if you really want to help me to deal with this stuff, which I appreciate. Then um, let's, uh, let's go to talk to this, this therapist together. Let's go and talk to the psychologist together. And, um, you know, have your mother come for a bunch of sessions and uh, have your, you know, have the therapist probe. Uh, and you use that kind of expertise, right? I mean, you you obviously, you know, to to make any kind of um, even semi-objective decision about this, uh, a, a second pair of eyes who are really trained, you know, eye contact, body language, tone of voice, all of those details, right? A good Cal Lightman, so to speak, um, somebody who can uh, help you with this kind of stuff, um, and who is who is skilled and precise at being able to to get past some of the defenses that people have if they are defenses around the I don't remember stuff. So that would be my very strong suggestion. Always, 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 you know, when you're dealing with these kinds of family issues, get uh, get into a, a good therapist. And if you can get um, family members to come with you to therapy, that is uh, absolutely wonderful. It is going to save you. I mean, it may sound expensive, but I'm telling you it's going to save you years of, uh, of stress and anxiety uh, and a feeling of aloneness, right, when it comes to confronting these issues. Having somebody else in the room who is sympathetic with your desire to get to the truth about family history uh, in the form of a therapist uh, is uh, I mean, it's unbelievably valuable. It is absolutely essential to, to – so that would be my suggestion. Don't, don't get into a he said, she said, so to speak, with your mother, but get into therapy. Get your mother to come for joint sessions um, tell your therapist ahead of time what it is that you're looking for, and uh, hopefully the therapist will agree. I'm sure that would be the case. And just try and get a second pair of eyes to look at the situation. And uh, somebody, I mean, the the great thing about therapists, the great thing about therapists, uh, it, this is one of my, this is pitch 12 million for going to therapy, is that if if we if we have to confront difficult or dangerous people. Uh, wherever they are, but let's just say in in your family, if that's where they are. If we have to confront difficult or dangerous people, we are terrified to do it, and and we uh, we are very susceptible to to stopping that process because we're so scared. But a therapist is not right. They have no dog in the fight, so to speak, and so they can be uh, more objective, more persistent. They don't suffer from the same history 
of the activation of the fight or flight mechanism with regards to a difficult or dangerous family member. Uh, and so they can push further in a more relaxed way than we can. And uh, if your mother refuses to go, well, I think that's telling, right? Again, I don't know for sure, but, uh, uh, you know, my mother said, anything I can do to help, it's like, let's go to therapy. I'm not going to therapy. It's like, so I'll do anything to help you, Steph, except spend an hour sitting on a couch talking about things with somebody else in the room, right? So that was an indication to me of how much she was actually willing to help me because it's easy to say. It's tough to actually do, so... Oh, yeah, somebody mentioned, uh, uh, and this is another thing too, right? I mean, this is an excellent point that uh, somebody mentioned on the board. Um, if your mother says, I don't remember, or your parent says, I don't remember, when you bring up things that may be considered critical of them, uh, I think it's important to remember back to your own childhood. Uh, and when you said, I don't remember, was that okay, right? If it was okay, then clearly <laughs> there's some UPB compliance there. And if it wasn't, then... That's something to pursue, right? So the, the person has written, I'm long distance from my mother now, but I doubt she would even agree to that. My father would probably not allow that. Well, um, it's not for your father to allow or not allow. Obviously, your mother's a sovereign individual, fundamentally, right? Certainly legally. But, um, but that would be an example of something abusive, right? Not allowing your wife to speak to a therapist, to me, would be a pretty nefarious and ugly thing to do in a marriage. So if your mother says, well, I can't remember anything that was negative that came from your father, and you say, let's go to therapy, and your father forbids it, you'd be like, well, here's one, right? So again, it's just a way to open up the conversation. I've always been a big fan of figuring out whether people are saying things to you because they genuinely want to help you, or whether they're just saying things to you to kind of throw you off the scent. Uh, I think I think that's Hello? really important. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um. Yeah. So, I just recently called my mom, and I actually said something about all the abuse, and she just claimed she didn't remember anything, and that just baffled. That just baffled you, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Go on. I don't really know what to do. Like, I would love it if she would leave him. And, like, I just bought a house and I have extra room if she would come and bring my brothers. But if she won't even acknowledge that anything ever happened, I really, I don't know. I'm so, so sorry. What is it that you have been talking to her about in terms of uh, issues that you had with your upbringing? Well, um... I asked her, like, seriously, what did you think about my childhood? And she was like, your childhood was fine. I, was, I gave specific examples of times when he had hit her or he was going to hit her and I, like, intervened. Uh, and just a few months ago, the last time I was out there, he threatened to kill her over something really trivial and she just obeyed him and didn't say anything. And I asked my brother, like, is it always like this, or is it just because I'm here? Because I'm not biologically his, but my brothers are, and I don't know, like, um, I think that's something to do with it. But they tattled on me, basically, that I asked them that. 
And he was basically bragging that he's punishing my mom because I'm there. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, sorry, Emma, I appreciate you bringing this up. I know this is a difficult topic. I just want to make sure that I understand. So you went to go and visit your parents, and your mother, mm-hmm. uh, your father threatened to, to kill your mother, to murder her? Yeah. And again, not that this should ever be said in joke, but, but could it be considered to be a kind of jest, you know, like, oh, I could just kill that person or whatever, right? No, he, like, angry through his teeth, like, if you don't do what I'll say, I'll kill you. Right. Now, I noticed that, that when you said, you know, he threatened to kill her over something inconsequential. Mm-hmm. You get yeah. that it doesn't matter that it was inconsequential, because that sort of implies that if it was serious, then that would be okay, right? But it was inconsequential, so it's out of proportion, right? She would never even say anything to the book. Like, uh, like, she's so obedient. Well, sure, sure. I. But I know, I understand that it's never acceptable. Right, right, okay. And then your father said that, uh, if I understand this right, what you're saying is your father said that um, that he was punishing your mother because you were there. He didn't say so many, he didn't specifically say I'm punishing her because you're here, but he's like, yeah, it's because you're here, because you're this and that, and that's why things are like this. Like, I'm causing him to be pissed off. So he has no control over his behavior. You are provoking him to make these death threats against your mother. Yeah, it's it's always been like that. It's always my fault. He has no control. I'm making him mad. Now, is it your father's belief, if you had to guess, right? I know we're just conjecturing, right? But is it your father's belief that... Nobody has control over his or her own behavior. They're just provoked by circumstances. In other words, nobody can be blamed. They just get provoked by circumstances. I think that only applies to him. And why? Everyone else Go on. has to be con- controlled, control themselves, obedient, but he's somehow special. So everybody else is, is very much responsible for their own behaviors, but he is not. Yeah. Right. But that's very interesting. Does, does he say that it is a principle that a human being should be responsible? Like if you go and say, well, dad, I'm not responsible for my behaviors, what would he say? He would say that's absolutely ridiculous. But all the time, he like he blames, he says he didn't good, he didn't get good grades in college because nobody told him that he should, and he said that a lot of times. So he said that I should get good grades because I'm telling him because he's telling me to. Sorry, I just want but to go back for a second. Really Sorry, I apologize for interrupting. I just want to go back for a second. <laughs> um, so if if you were to say, Dad, I'm not responsible for my own actions. He would say, that's ridiculous. You are responsible for your own actions. Yeah. And then you were to say, is it true that everyone is responsible for his or her own actions? What, yeah. what would he say? I guess he would intellectually agree with that, but he always has excuses why he's not responsible for his own actions. Right, okay. So then there is no principle called everyone is responsible for his or her own actions because he's not responsible for his actions, right? 
So then he can't say that everybody else is responsible because he then gets to not be covered by his universal rule. I know this is very abstract, but I think it's quite important. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So everybody's responsible except for me. Yeah. Right. But then he can't inflict responsibility on others that he's not willing to take himself. Right. Not justly, anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, uh, and your mother has been married to him for how long? Uh. Well, they got married when I was like three, so I'm 24 now. So about 20 years. And do you view your mother uh, as uh, as a victim? Um, I, I guess, but like, have it's her. She should have known better. Sorry, because of what? She like I think that she should have known better, and she put herself in that situation. Like, like she gave up her power, and she made herself a victim. Like she could stop it at any time, but she. Right, right. Um, And have you, um, I'm just asking questions. I have no idea what you should do in this situation, right? I'm just asking questions, right? Um, Have you, have you thought of calling the authorities? Well, the, he's not like physically like beating. No, no, no. Death threats, uh, look, death, death threats, as far as I understand it, are, are illegal. Again, I don't know where you're from, and don't tell me, right? But I, I think mm. throughout most of the world, threatening to kill someone seriously is uh, is is illegal. But like, I have no evidence, and it would just—I—I don't. I feel like it would come out very badly. Like it would make things worse because I just. Well, look, I mean, again, I'm not telling you what you should do, but if evidence is the problem, you can just get a a, a little digital recorder for 30 bucks, right? And you can record one of these conversations, and then you can play it to the cops and say, I think that my mother's life is in danger. I don't think that her life is actually in danger, but he, there's that threat that if and if someone steps out of line, um, he will use physical um, violence. But um, sorry to interrupt. Do you believe that her mental happiness or potential for happiness is in danger, even if he never lays a hand on her, if she lives under yeah. uh, the threat of murder? Yeah. Is is that enough to motivate but, you? Um. To call the cops, I don't think so. But I want to do something, but I don't, I don't know if calling the cops would be appropriate. Well, what about calling? I, I uh, what about uh, you? You could call, and again, I have no idea what you should do. These are just some possibilities, right? You could call uh, a woman's shelter or a feminist organization or the National Organization for Women. Uh, if somebody could get the website up on the chat room, I'd really appreciate it. We can pass that along. You could call them, and you could say. Uh, this is the situation. Uh, you know, my mother is uh, uh, is receiving death threats from my father. Uh, what are my options? And they're not going to, you know, kick in the door and arrest your dad because they're, you know, civilian organizations or whatever, right? Uh, but but they could give you some advice on, on ways in which you can proceed. Um, it is my opinion, and it is, of course, only my opinion, that um, you, you can't solve this problem because you're a child of the marriage. And uh, uh, I, I think that this requires uh, experts, and I think this requires 
significant investment of resources to solve this problem. Uh, if your mother has been physically uh, threatened or emotionally um, threatened for decades, as you say, um, then she's she's akin to somebody who's been addicted to heroin for 10 years, right? No family member can save someone who's been addicted to heroin for 10 years, right? They, they, that, that person needs significant professional intervention to deal with the problem. And it's my opinion that you simply cannot solve this problem. And I think that your mother is telling you that you can't solve it because she's not even willing to admit that these things happened. Uh, somebody has just put up, uh, thank you, James, uh, www.now.org. That's the National Organization of Women. And, oh, you could look up a battered woman's shelter or you could look up anybody, any expert who deals with uh, aggression against women. And you could talk about what is going on in your parents' marriage. You could, uh, you could also meet with a lawyer who may have expertise in domestic violence cases or domestic threat cases. You may be able to get this case pro bono. You also may be able to get even a half an hour of time to get uh, a consult where your options could be laid out. It is my absolute uh, strong opinion uh, that, that you cannot step in like some sort of uh, ninja, right, and solve, and solve this problem. This problem far preceded you. Obviously, your parents knew each other before you were born. Uh, and or at least it would seem to be likely. Uh, so um, I don't think that you can solve this problem on your own, and I think it would not be helpful to uh, to try. There's a National Women's Law Center, which you can also access, uh, thanks, uh, Richard, uh, from nwlc.org, and they will uh, also give you um, uh, information about what options you have in this situation. I don't believe that you should try to solve this problem on your own. I don't think that children can fundamentally solve their parents' problems. It's just my opinion. I just don't think that they can. Uh, I don't think that if, if your mother was diabetic, you wouldn't try and administer medication on your own. You would get her to a doctor, right? If your mother was a drug addict, you would recognize that hiding her drugs or her money would not solve the problem. Uh, if your mother had some sort of chron other kind of chronic illness, you would get her to a doctor, to a specialist as quickly as possible. And in a situation of, uh, you know, chronic uh, threats of violence and murder that have gone on for years and decades, uh, I don't believe for a second that you can solve this problem. I think that your mother needs a team of professionals uh, and people who will uh, be able to, who have experience doing this kind of thing. Uh, and who have experience getting past these kinds of defenses. I would not take on the salvation of your mother from the relationship she has with her father. I don't believe that amateurs can solve these kinds of problems. And I, you know, I understand you're not an amateur as far as your family goes, but my strong advice is to reach out and to get the facts and the information and to get the people in who will have the best chance of success. Because you can try for another couple of years and it won't get better in my strong opinion. But if you get people who've got lots of experience going in, they can probably step in the right way to get the right outcome, or at least it would give the best possible chance to have the right outcome. That would be that would be my very strong opinion. Yeah. Okay. And I say I say this, and I know I'm sort of giving you lots of to-dos or whatever. At least, it's, again, it's all just my opinion. But I also just wanted to say that I'm I'm incredibly sorry. I'm incredibly sorry and incredibly sympathetic that you would even be within a, a hundred miles of this kind of situation, within a hundred miles of having to try and make these kinds of awful decisions, to have to try and help someone who's so broken down that, um, you know, denial and blankness is the result of somebody, her, her, her daughter, trying to genuinely help her out of this difficult and dangerous situation. Um, 
if your mother, like if your childhood was ruled over by this, you know, as you say, brutal patriarch, and your mother says you had a good childhood, I don't think she's close enough to reality to even know what the right thing is, what the right thing to do is. She's in a, a, a haze and a daze of blankness in a way. That would be, again, just a, it's not a diagnosis or anything because I'm not a psychologist, but this would be my, you know, somebody who's just not in reality at all, who says that something is black when it's white, you know, can't be reached by uh, just mere conversation or whatever. I think that she's going to need um, significant professional intervention. She may want that. She may not want that. She may choose to go that route. She may not choose to go that route. But if you really want to help your mother, I think that it's really important to look at her as having a complex, highly sophisticated set of problems, right? And, and whether those are medical or mental health or whatever, we don't wade in and try and, and solve all of those things. We, we try to get, I mean, I think we can, we, can, we can give sympathy. I mean, I hope that you're you know, able to get that I'm giving you some sympathy. I'm also hoping to give you some moral clarity that it is absolutely unacceptable. It is absolutely unacceptable for anyone to threaten anybody else with murder. It is absolutely unacceptable for your father to, to threaten to kill your mother in anger. It is absolutely and completely and totally immoral to threaten and bully someone's life in that manner. So I hope, I hope you don't have to be an expert to give moral clarity on this, and I hope you don't have to be an expert to give incredible sympathy for you to even be in this situation. But given that that is the situation, given that you do want to help, then I think you need to bring in the professionals. They are going to have the greatest chance of success. And, um, uh, and I would say that if you don't want to bring in the professionals, that is most likely because you don't feel that it can work. But if the professionals can't do it, I don't believe that you can do it at all. What if they refuse? Like, should I not speak to them? Well, that's I mean, that's entirely your choice. I still have two little brothers. Yeah, look, that's that's entirely your choice. Sorry to interrupt. Um, that's entirely your choice. You can you can speak to people uh, in your life. You cannot speak to people in your life. It has been my philosophy from the very beginning, and it's not just my philosophy. It is, in fact, a legal reality and a moral reality. Adult relationships are voluntary, right? You don't have to see your parents. You don't have to not see your parents. You can choose to have them in your life. You can choose not to have them in your life. There are choices and there are consequences. Like, like you can choose to smoke crack if you want, and there's going to be consequences to that. You can choose to take up jogging, and there will be consequences to that, right? Uh, positive consequences, we hope. So um, I think that um, I, I personally would not have a lot of room in my life for people who offered death threats. Uh, I would not have a lot of room in my life for someone like that. But uh, that's my perspective and my opinion. But uh, uh, I would certainly say that the first thing that you should do, regardless of what happens with your family, the first thing that you should do is, is get into into therapy like not tomorrow not later but like <laughs> you know stop talking to me pick up the yellow pages and call a therapist and if you have to uh, you sell your car if you have to sell your blood <laughs> you know i'm just kidding right but whatever you you can do to get into therapy right i mean uh, if you borrow money from your your family if you don't have any money just say i need to get some help blah 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 but get into into therapy um i think that um your desire to help your mother, I completely understand it. At least I think that I do. And I, I sympathize and respect your desire to help your mother. I personally don't think you can do it. 
Um, and I think your mother is also telling you with her denials that, that you can't do it. But I think the first and foremost is not to make decisions like see them or don't see them, you know, go, go there or don't go there. But uh, I think the first thing to do is, you know, given this, oh, I'm so, so sorry. I mean, God, people should not, should not have to live with this kind of stuff when they're growing up. I just, I can't tell you how much it breaks my heart, uh, especially as a parent myself, to just, to hear the degree of suffering that people experience uh, when they are growing up. It is, I mean, my heart goes out to you. I mean, huge cyber hug, you know, for what it's worth. Um, but I would, you know, if I were in your shoes, I would, I would stop trying to help my family. I mean, if your family has existed for the past couple of decades, they're not going to burst into flames tomorrow. I would stop trying to change and affect my family. I would get myself into therapy um, right away and uh, just try and start to work through uh, the, the, the pain and the history and the fear of, of growing up in these kinds of threatening environments. So uh, that would be my absolutely strong suggestion. Just once again, I'm in my uh, just unbelievably deepest sympathies. I mean, children should be treated as precious gifts from the universe and not uh, in any other way. And it is, it is sad and tragic uh, that there is an army of the dispossessed and the downtrodden that have come through these kinds of histories. So I just wanted to extend my absolutely deepest sympathies uh, for you for, for all of this. Will you think about therapy? Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. and you understand, this is all just my amateur opinion, right? I mean, I think I know a little bit about ethics. I myself have gone through years of therapy, and uh, I found it to be absolutely, enormously, fundamentally helpful. And uh, um, I, think, I think it would be really essential before making any kinds of decisions about, about anything to do with this stuff. Oh, you're welcome. And I, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. People should not have to be burdened with this kind of stuff at all. It is, it is so fundamentally tragic. And the only thing that I can say is that the self-knowledge that you can gain out of really delving into this history with the help of a therapist will give you an enormous capacity for happiness and power later on in your life. And I'm not saying you don't have it now. I'm just saying that it will increase. Um, so there, there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel, but... Uh, I think that, that to try as the child to affect the behavior of your parents is like all with no bottom. And I think that you need to get yourself straight and get some, some legal or practical advice from experts before trying to, to think about how to deal with this situation. Yeah. I don't really know what to say. Oh, listen, don't worry about it. I mean, this is not about you contributing to the show. I mean, I just wanted to, to, to put that out there. Um, so listen, drop me a line if you can and keep me posted, but, you know, stop, stop listening to me ramble on about my nonsense opinions and, uh, you know, call a therapist and set up an appointment. Uh, that, that would be my absolute uh, strong suggestion. You also may want to check out those websites. Um, they may have, uh, therapists who are, have more expertise in these kinds of issues. And that probably would be uh, someone to talk to, like say, you know, this is my family. Do you have any therapists in the neighborhood that you would recommend? Uh, who would have experience with this kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. Okay. okay listen, all the therapists and, and do, do give me a shout uh, if you go and, and I'd love to know, to know how it went. Okay. All right. All the best. Thanks. You're absolutely welcome. That's, um, that's, I mean, that's hard stuff. Uh, that is hard stuff. I mean, it is, um, 
I mean, it is. It can be a little shocking to to hear these kinds of stories for sure. Um, but uh, you know, this is. I think. I think this is where philosophy and virtue and truth and courage, you know, find their home, is is in these kinds of situations. So, um, you know, these these conversations happen because of listener support and uh, of this conversation. So, uh, I hope that. Um, uh, I hope that, that you find them worthwhile and valuable. And if anybody has any suggestions on how I can improve my responses, I'm, of course, as always, more than more than happy to hear. All right. I think we have time for another short question. If anybody has, uh, don't feel shy about following a call like that. Um, uh, this is a very courageous woman who called in. And uh, I'm very, very glad that she did. And uh, I hope that the experts uh, will, will help her out uh, and... Uh, it is, it is tragic, of course. I mean, this is something I've mentioned before. But it's very sad that um, there's not the moral clarity in society that this would be a conversation that she would have among friends or extended family uh, years ago, right? But that this is something that people don't, uh, don't like to talk about, don't like to get involved in. And I can understand why sometimes. But um, I think it is important if you know people like this in your life, you know, ask them how they're doing, give them some suggestions, help them to get into therapy, help them to get into uh, a situation where experts can help them. And uh, I think that's uh, that can do some wonderful stuff in the world. Hi, Steph. Hello. Hi. Um, I have a question, but I'm not sure like how short it is. So you can just let me know if you think it's like too complicated. Sorry, was that the question? Um, no. Because <laughs> it went up at the end. That was my guess. But okay, go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just nervous. Um the uh the i kind of noticed like a pattern in myself and this came up recently where um like i'll i'll start to plan something like like a get together with friends or like a meetup type of thing and then i get like really anxious about it and like i kind of i, I noticed that i was like kind of like taking things personally like if people don't like respond to like requests or whatever in the planning process Oh, you mean like feel, a, you wanted to run like a book club, but then nobody read the book or you wanted to like do a movie review and nobody had actually seen the film? Wait, sorry. That's more me. But sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Like what came up? Yeah, yeah, what came up recently was like I, I was planning like a, a conversation with like paired with like an activity and um, like I, I was trying to get like everybody's schedule and uh, like people were kind of like taking a little while to respond and I and I started feeling kind of like, like resentful. Can you give me a slightly more details if you don't mind? Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and I kind of had a chance to talk a little bit about, so it's been a little bit processed, but I'm, uh, yeah. Okay. Details. <laughs> uh, it's okay if you don't, I just want to make sure that I understand. I mean, if you, if it's not, if you don't, if it's not appropriate, that's fine. I, but if you can throw a few more scraps my way, that would I'm sure be helpful. Yeah, no, I don't think it's a problem. Like, um, I, uh, yeah, so I, I was planning this, like, bake chat where, um, like, a few people were going to get together on Skype and, like, make this pie together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I asked, you know, people who were interested and I got a couple responses and then I sent out an email. I'm sorry, just, just so uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is this through FDR or something else? Uh, well, it's FDR people that I'm talking to, but I haven't like posted on. Oh yeah, FDR. so it's just people it's that you know from FDR. Okay, fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, 
so yeah, so I sent out an email asking for different people's availability. And, uh, like, it, it, I mean, it wasn't even, like, a very long period of time, probably, like, three days. Uh, and I hadn't, I gotten, like, a couple of responses, but not very, and I also, like, kind of the people, people that I'm more uh, close to mm. weren't responding. Sure. Like, um, like, kind of my closer friends. And I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I just felt kind of. Uh, a little bit like hurt by that like I was taking it kind of personally like like that was saying something about how they felt about me right right um and then I talked to one of one of the people like on Skype I just asked instead of waiting for the email reply and he told me like that his schedule was like all changed around from what he had told me originally which kind of like annoyed me even more because like I had he told me like his idea of what his schedule would be and then I sent out this email uh you know kind of giving the specific dates and then he knew the schedule is going to be different but he didn't reply right 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 look I mean I I think I understand it and I don't want to interrupt if you have more that you want to add so let me just stop for a sec if you do well just one little thing I I, I had I kind of like talked to him about how that made me feel and um, he said that, like, he, did, he, he knew, like, when his schedule changed, he didn't think about the chat schedule. Like, it wasn't on the forefront of his mind. So that's why he didn't, he hadn't responded to me yet. So I'm kind of thinking, like, it doesn't really have, I think it's, like, something more to do with me <laughs> than to do with, um, like, these people. Like, a reaction in me. Right, right. Now, so if people did make a commitment to you, and then they failed to follow through, right? Um, yeah, well, kind of, because, like, they they express interest, and then I asked for schedules, and then they didn't really follow through. Okay, okay. And, um, uh, do you think that, uh, would you characterize it as rude? Uh, and again, I'm not trying to, <laughs> no, leading the witness, right? I'm just, I'm just wondering, <laughs> did you experience it as, as rude or disrespectful or maybe even insulting for people to say, yes, I'm interested, uh, and then you go to the work of trying to set up schedules and so on, and you get no response? Yeah, kind of rude. And, like, I kind of felt like, sorry, I'm, like, kind of. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's rude. Uh, and the thought that I have about it is, like, I would respond right away. Sure. Like, I'm kind of holding them up to, like, my, like, how I would have handled it. Right, right, right. So you would uh, be responsible as far as getting back to someone because I would imagine that, that the people who didn't respond have not tried to organize something. Cause when you try to organize something, uh, it's, it's a lot of work, right? I mean, people, they never want to do anything. They'll say they do, right? And then they don't really want to do it. Right. Cause you know, I mean, and I've, right. I mean, I've tried a bunch of initiatives on FDR, a variety of different things. Um, you know, we used to do salons, we've tried uh, book clubs we've tried a bunch of other different things. And people express interest and then, you know, like one or two people show up uh, out of the dozens of people who will express interest. And nobody said they're not coming, right? So you sort of go ahead and, and then that's it, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm old school. I mean, I'm with you. I'm, I'm old school that way. I think that uh, I, I take those kinds of things quite seriously, right? I mean, if somebody – if I make a commitment to someone uh, to, to, to do something that they are suggesting – then I, I consider myself sort of bound by that. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm bound to do it, 
but it means that I'm bound to either do it or tell them I'm not, right? Right, exactly. I take it like if, if you said to me, Steph, I'm going to meet you at a movie theater at 9 o'clock and we're going to watch a movie, right? Then the mm-hmm. way that I see it is I either meet you there at 9 o'clock or I phone to tell you I'm not coming. Right. Right. I, I don't just not show up, right? Yeah, definitely. And I had the thought too, like if 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 like if you're not that into it, like I'm not it's not gonna be like the end of the world for me. Like it can just be like a couple of people, you know. Right. I mean chat. it's the old thing. Like if if um if I suggest something, you know, that the community might be enjoy enjoy and everyone says, Ah, forget it, I'm not interested, or nobody responds with any positive interest. Well, that's fine. I mean, that's okay. Just, you know, put it up the flagpole, so to speak, and see who salutes, right? So I'm fine if people don't want to do it. Uh, But when people say, oh, that's great. Oh, I'd love to. Oh, I got five friends. Will, uh, right? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't, then then, then you have a list of 20 people who want to do something and you you, you bend while wasting time trying to, uh, trying to follow it up, right? Right. So what turns into something that would be fun for people turns out into something that's annoying and frustrating and like herding cats that are, you know, on, on acid, right? Yeah. Right. So I'm yeah, all, I'm old school with you that way. I mean, I, I just, I just, I don't know why, whether, you know, because even, I mean, people who grew up, who I grew up with, it's not just cultural people who I grew up with don't have the same commitment. You just do it, you know, do it or tell me you're not going to do it. That's all I sort of ask <laughs> from people. Right. Um, but, uh, when, when people express their, um, their willingness or desire to participate in something and then, uh, don't respond, uh, I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't think it's personal to you at all. I don't think it's personal right. to you. I do think it's rude. I, I do. Uh, but I don't think it's personal to you. I mean, I think I, I've struggled with this, right? And trying to, trying to get a philosophy conversation going, not to mention asking people for donations from time to time can be a challenge on the ego, right? <laughs> can be a challenge. Um, and the way that I've sort of thought about it is I think to follow through on your commitments is to have something larger than just the moment, right? Right. So it, it can be a little difficult if, if, if you say, let's do a pie club, and uh, and I say I'm I'm sorry that's not really it's not really my thing I don't think I'd be interested right uh, that in the moment that can be you know I can oh I'm going to hurt her feelings or she's going to be upset or I'm going to whatever right right so so in the moment I might say yeah uh, that's great because in the moment I just want to make me feel good by thinking I'm making you feel good right it's just in the moment it's, I'm not thinking about the future right I'm just thinking about mm-hmm. about making the other person happy in the moment with no real thought for the future. And fundamentally, I'm around making myself feel better in the moment, right? Right. Now, if I were to remember and say, okay, well, if I say yes to this, right, then I'm going to have to do the next thing and I'm going to have to do the next thing. I'm going to have to do the next thing. And then I'm going to have to do the next thing. And this could take up hours or days of my life over the next year, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And if I'm clear about that, that that's going to be the result then I'm going to not just say yes to appease someone in the moment, right? If I don't want to do it. If I remember all of that in the future, right? Right. Now, I think, I think there's something terrifically sad about people who've been raised in such a way that they can't 
in a sense, really get the emotional realities of a long-term commitment, but can only appease the possible upset of others in the moment. Oh, it's a bit um, of clicking on the line there that's coming from you. Oh, sorry. No, no problem. Not sure why. But, but just, I mean, again, the, the way that I stop taking things personally is I think about everyone's history, right? The 99.99999% of their life that they had before they met me. That's how I don't take things personally, right? Right. Right. Like a, a, a drop of water that falls on my forehead <laughs> that might be cold and unpleasant. You know, if you think of it like water molecules from the dawn of time swirling around at the ocean, dried up into the clouds, falling down, like <laughs> the 99.999 infinity percent of time that those water molecules have been floating around before they hit your forehead, you realize that they didn't just get created like and shot at you, right? Right, yeah. Right, so when I look, when I find this kind of thing where I, I, I start down a road because people seem to be enthusiastic and there seems to be traction and then everyone just kind of vanishes on me. I think, well, how sad that is. How sad it is that people don't feel that they can say, I'm sorry, I've changed my mind. I, I don't really want to do it. Right. Like, what, how, would, how would you have been raised that you couldn't say, um, I thought I was interested in it, but I just, I'm sorry. Or, you know, I got something to confess. I'm really sorry because... I really didn't want to do it at the time. I just wanted to make you feel better in the moment. And that was kind of selfish because that was about me and not you. I'm really sorry. Now, if somebody phoned you and told you that, it's not likely you'd be really mad, right? Right. No, definitely not. You'd be like, damn, you know, that's, that's an amazing thing that you just did. I can't tell right. you how much that impresses me. You know right, that you, you noticed it, you thought about it, you you are honest with yourself about it, you're honest with me about it, and you have said to me, I'm sorry, I just, I realized I was appeasing you in the moment, which was kind of selfish, and I had, you know, if I really thought about it, I really didn't have an intention, and I realized that that was unfair to you, so I'm just, I'm really sorry, I just wanted to set the record straight, because it's, you know, not reasonable, right? Yeah. It's amazing, but, but people can't feel free to do that, right? What they do is they just blank out, they appease you in the moment. And then they get your email and they're like, oh, I'll do it later, right? Or they just, they just blank right. out. But how sad that they, they can't be, that they've been trained or raised to be so non-assertive that they have to conform and comply in the moment and can't even assert their preferences or even know their real preferences later on, but all they can do is avoid. I mean, that's really sad. It's frustrating, don't get me wrong. I mean, we don't get all zen and say, yeah. I float above it with no problems. Right? <laughs> but, but fundamentally... Right. It's really sad. Yeah, definitely. And I didn't really think of it like from that perspective, but I, yeah, I can definitely see that. And the other thing too, and that helps. I'm so sorry. You go ahead. <laughs> sorry, let me stop. That no, quick. I was just gonna. I was just gonna add that. I just think that that really helps, like, to keep it, to keep me from like taking it personally, because it's definitely not about me. But I think that keeping that perspective would help. Right. And do you mind if I just mention one other thing that I, I think will also help? Yeah, definitely. Please. A lot of times in life, uh, and this is true when we're growing up, but it also can be true as adults. A lot of time in life, people will kind of, I'm not, I'm not saying you do this, right? But people will kind of get a commitment out of you by being a little bit pushy. 
And then what happens is you kind of appease them because they're pushy or they're aggressive or whatever, right? You kind of appease mm-hmm. them, but then later they will pursue you and they, in a sense, have power over you because you made that commitment. So people sometimes right. view the giving of a commitment as the surrendering of power to somebody else. And then they, right. they, they, they resist that power by avoiding the person who they now believe is going to control them because of their commitment. Right. It's kind of like the master-slave. Yeah, the master will impose something. The slave has no choice but to say no. Sorry. The slave has no choice but to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then the master pretends that that is a voluntary thing. Right. So, I mean, to take a, a macro example, right, there's the social contract, right? I mean, we have no choice but to say yes, right, because they have the guns, right? But then they say, mm-hmm. but you made a commitment. You're still living in this country. It's a contract. You owe me, right? Right. And that, I think, is important. I mean, this happens in the realm of religion, right? Uh, parents will say, so you're going to come to church with us on Sunday, right? And, and the kids know that they can't say no, right? Oh, yeah. Right? So then they say, yeah, okay, <laughs> right? And then the parent gets them up and says, no, 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 you made a commitment. Right, and then they get mad if you, like, fidget or whatever. Well, then the children will be slow. They're all the passive-aggressive stuff that, that can happen in these situations because the children don't fundamentally feel that they had a choice, right? And I'm not saying this is true of all kids, right, all situations. But in, in these situations, I've certainly seen it. The kids don't feel that they have a choice. That, but, the, the, but the commitment was kind of forced out of them in a way or bullied out of them in a, in a mild way. And then because the commitment was they, – they gave the commitment to comply in the moment, then they feel passive-aggressive because other people now have power over them because of this commitment that they didn't really want to make to begin with. It was a false commitment, right? Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so in a way, people Not are evading me. you because now you can order them around because they, they made a commitment. If that, and so they're just right. resisting power in a way. And again, that's really sad got nothing yeah. to do with you because you know i think that your bullying days ended last week i think if i remember rightly late last week yeah obviously right this is oh yeah shotgun <laughs> and stop taking people's pets hostage to get them to do what you want and right so you've you've mostly put that <laughs> stuff by the wayside um but but that's not you but people will respond to you in, in that way right but it's got sure. nothing to do with you this is the 99.99999 percent of uh, of their lives that shapes their reactions long 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 before they met you right Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, my suggestion, right, because this has all just been explanatory, right, (laughs) to whatever degree it is, right? (laughs) But I think that your temptation would be to say, I feel hurt and upset, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If you were to talk about it with these people, right? Sure. But I think that that is not empirical because that's saying that you feel hurt and upset because it's to do with you. Right. But it's not to do with you. My suggestion would be, I mean, to know what you feel for sure, right? And to work through the feelings mm-hmm. of frustration, right? Because if you've had a history in your own life of unreliable people, that's going to exacerbate it, right? Which means it's not about them, but it's about you, right? So you don't want to cross these wires. You don't want to layer your past on other people's present and you don't want them to layer their past on your present, Right. 
if you've right, had a history of right. people making commitments and not following through, and then you get really mad at people who don't do it in the present because of the past, it's also non-empirical and unfair to them, right? Because you're saying it's about them when it's really about somebody else entirely and your own history. Right. But I think, I think that the most empirical way to approach this would be to say, well, look, it's not to do with me. And fundamentally, it's not even to do with you, the other person, right? right. It's to do with something around my history and your history. So uh, let's do this. I'll be curious about what led you to this thing, right, to, to make this commitment and then sort of not follow through, right? And, and not placing a big, heavy moral judgment on that, right? But just I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I'm genuinely curious how this came about for you. And the reason that we want to do that, in my opinion, is because once you find out the incredible number of layers that led someone to act in that manner, you will completely not take it personally and your irritation will be replaced with sympathy. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And then you can ask yourself an even more important question, right? Once you understand the layers, and this can be a lengthy and very beneficial conversation to have with people, but once you have the layers of why somebody did something like that, the most important question to ask, especially if you have a history with people who are unreliable, is what Simon the Boxer thing is going on for me? Why didn't I see that this was going to happen? Remember, everyone's a genius and everyone's a philosopher. Yeah. So why right. am I surprised? Because right? when, you, when you see, you'll see, once you get it, you'll see all the patterns that, that you shouldn't have been surprised that this happened, right? Yeah. So what repetition am I then bringing to the table that I did not see this coming, that I'm genuinely surprised that these people I've known for a long time would do something like this? Because anyone we've known for a reasonable amount of time, it's really tough to claim to be very surprised about what they're doing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? The first thing that comes to my mind, like the difference between the people that um, didn't reply and the people that um, did reply right away is the people that didn't reply, I kind of approached them and asked them if they were interested. Whereas the people that did reply, I kind of put it out as like kind of like a general thing on, on Twitter or whatever. And they came to me and said, I'm interested. And then they responded right away. Sorry, say that again. I think I've missed it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, like the people that, and okay, I'm not even sure if this is that important, but like something that I just thought of as a difference, like maybe an indicator, is uh, the people who I approached like personally, like in like a conversation and said, hey, I'm planning this thing. Like, do you want, what do you think of it? Or like, do you want to be involved in this? Like the people that I approached it in that manner. Right are the people that did not reply. And then the people that I kind of put it out as more of a general, like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this thing. Let me know if you're interested. The people that got involved that way um, replied right away. Right, 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 right. And, and I think, I mean, you care more about the people that you approached, right? Right. So, so the way that I, this is the way that I see it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. The way that I see it is you and you and I to take a right just to so it, I don't have to make someone up right so you and I are walking down we're walking through the woods right it's a beautiful day birds are singing right and we're walking, walking through the woods and then there are these two terrible crashes and two big freaking trees land on us right they just fall over right oops right big trees fall on us right <laughs> and yeah. and I say I can't believe I'm so mad at you you push this tree over on me and you're like no you push this tree over on me right <laughs> and and we get mad at each other right 
but of course the the trees just fell on us and and the trees that fell on us are are history right right and so if we take it personally then we can't help each other right because we're mad at each other sure and we're blaming each other for things that really aren't our faults right in my to my way of thinking again all just nonsense opinion but to my way of thinking when somebody is unreliable with me what they're saying is help me a tree fell on me right please ask me why i am not free to gain the self respect of being reliable please help me please ask me about how i came to be this way please don't take it personally pull the tree off me right Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a great opportunity. It is, and it may work and it may not, right? People may just turn into jerks or whatever. Okay, oh, why are you busting yeah. me? I mean, they might, right? Because they might not be able to, right? They may they may then pull a, push a tree over on you, right? Who knows, all right? But but I think it's worth with the people that you feel that you can have that conversation with. You know, I think there are a lot of cries for help in our conversations with people, and some of them are very explicit, and some of them are much more subtle. I want someone to notice that I'm not reliable, and I want someone to care enough to ask me why. Yeah. I mean, there's these massive marionettes of interstellar loneliness that walk around in the world doing things that are frustrating to others because they don't feel that they exist. Right? I don't go and hug a mirror because the me that's in the mirror doesn't exist. I don't reciprocate that way with things that don't exist. And if people feel that they don't exist, then they will treat other people like the other people don't exist, right? Right. So they, if people don't feel that they exist or that they matter, then they'll treat you like you don't exist and you don't matter. And what they're really asking for is for someone, because they can't do it themselves, for someone to say, wait a minute, I feel like I'm being treated like I don't matter which means you must feel like you don't matter and that must be really difficult for you. Right. That must be horrible. What led you to the place where you are a ghost among the trees? The dead trees. Where nothing that you did mattered. How sad. Tell me. Tell me about that, right? Where do you think right. it came from? What you know? When was the last time you felt that you mattered? When was the last time that you felt you had a positive impact? When was the last time when someone cared that you did something not so nice? Yeah, that's really helpful. I think that that's a really great approach. And I think that works with people who are just kind of, I don't think it works with abusers, right? I mean, it's a different category, right. but that's not what you're talking about, right? Just so people, because I, I know that people get these contradictory things. They get all messed up. It's like, well, you tell them, be angry at this person, be sympathetic to this person. Of course, I'm not saying anyone should be anything. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that if you care about these people, right, then see that there's a log on their legs, right? And, and help them with it. And you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to. But but don't think that they push the log onto you because they're, you know, bad. Right. Definitely. And it, because if through that, 
you gain a greater knowledge of them. You will, you, you can't help but gain a greater knowledge of yourself through this process. Curiosity about others is the ultimate tool of self-knowledge, in my opinion. It's why we can't solve these problems on our own. It's why we need people to talk to in our life. It's why we need to be curious and open and honest and empathetic in RTR with ourselves and with others in particular. Right? Self-knowledge is a communal activity. Right? Because when you learn how deep somebody else's indifference to you, so to speak, goes, then you won't take it personally. You'll be freed from offense, taking offense. Taking offense is, is, a, is a sort of a cheap avoidance mechanism in most situations, not in all, but in most situations. But if you're curious and you say, how did, how did our histories mesh in this kind of way where you ended up dissociated or, and I ended up upset, right? If you learn about their dissociation, you will learn about your own upset. And I don't think there's any other way to do it because we can't ask questions directly of ourselves, right? We can't. Right. right? We, we have to kind of, we have to learn about ourselves through our interactions with others. That's been my experience because I, I, mean, I spent a lot of time trying to learn about myself just by myself and I, I just didn't get that far. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, Isabella is teaching me all this, right? <laughs> because Isabella, she doesn't know who she is, but she knows she has an effect on the world. Right? She's learning about herself, what she can do and what she can't do by manipulating things in the world. Right? So she's learning about herself through her interactions with the world. Right. And, and certainly my self-knowledge has accelerated greatly since, you know, since getting married, since, since FDR, right? Because of the intensity and quality and depth and honesty of my interactions with other people, I've learned an enormous amount more about myself. So it's an opportunity. Curiosity about others is knowledge of the self. So it liberates you from reaction alone. But those are scary questions to ask people, right? Right. Yeah, definitely, but very important. Well, I think so. And I know I've talked a lot, right? So I don't want to have DMRG rear off and you kind of dozing or doing your nails or something, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, is, is there anything that you wanted to add to this? Because I really wanted to make sure that we actually did, did sort of talk about stuff that was useful. Yeah, no, I, that was very useful. And I really appreciate that. I think uh, that gave me some uh, tools for the future, for sure. And I'll, I'll definitely um, have a talk with, with some of these people um, probably tonight. I hope so. I hope so. And, uh, you know, if, you, if, they, if they're amenable and, and you get a chance, do, do let us know how it goes. Yeah, will do. Thank you. Fantastic. Great, great, great question. And um, Thanks. Yeah, thanks everybody, of course, so much. Uh, it is always a fascinating thing. You know, these, these Sunday, I look forward to them, like as I said, all week, right? I mean, because you're all so freaking smart and have such great questions and comments. Um, so as always, I hugely appreciate the, the trust, the support, and, and the openness of, of people's conversation. Uh, and it, it, it is, you know, the, the great thing about these Sunday shows for me, I never know what the hell people are going to talk about. Because, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, philosophy, which is, is the widest of all possible topics. So, you know, whether we're going from science to economics to metaphysics to relationships to self-knowledge to families to whatever it is, personal stuff. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a real uh, thrill and a privilege to um, to have these uh, high accelerated bowling balls shot at 
randomly at me from cannons hidden in the bushes, uh, randomly, and some in the clouds. So uh, I just wanted to mention thank you, uh, everybody, uh, for, for calling in. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to chatting with you next week. And um, I will uh, put in uh, the request uh, for a time frame for the Entrepreneurs Conference and uh, have yourselves an absolutely stupendously, deliciously fabulous week. And uh, I will talk to you soon.